Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? In episode 444, I'm joined again by my handsome husband, Nick Broadhurst, and we are answering all your burning questions on all things parenting. We share our favorite parenting hacks, our parenting philosophy, how to create a blissful blended family. We talk about screen time, how to raise free-thinking and well-adjusted children, We also talk about all things introducing solids and how we have done that with our baby girl. We share all our must-have and favorite essential baby products and so much more. This episode is one that you are going to want to download and come back to time and time again, and one that you will share with all of your besties. The links for everything we mention and some discount codes will be found in the show notes. So head on over to melissarambrosini.com forward slash 444 to get all of those goodies. Now let's dive in. Nick Broadhurst is back on the show. This is so exciting. I've got a, this new oil diffuser that just like sprayed in my face. (laughs) It's super cool. It's like motion detected, but I'm just going to turn you off little one. Hang on. Okay. Hello, darling. It's so good to have you back here. You are one of the most requested guests. Everyone says, I love it when Nick comes on the show. Really? Mm-hmm. Me? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, I'm very honored that I'm wanted. It's very exciting. And I'm really excited about this episode. But before we dive in, how are you? What is new and good in your world right now? What's going on for you? I have so much going on. But it's so cool. Like, it's so, so good. I've finished the first draft of my novel, and I'm halfway through the second draft. So it should be finished, ready for editing and reading council in about a week. My gosh, this is so exciting. For those of you that have not heard, Nick has been writing a romantic fiction Mm. novel, Mm. and it's so good. Oh my gosh. If you love romance slash untethered soul slash 50 50 shades Shades of gray slash eat pray love you're gonna love this Mm. who doesn't love a good fiction novel i know it's like super unconscious to read fiction but i don't care i love fiction i've been reading fiction every night for the last probably year or so because i've been really wanting to read the best writers i just finished oh my gosh how did I not know about this book? I just finished Shantaram. What a freaking marvel that book is. Incredible. In fact, I spoke to his team on Instagram today and they're super keen for him to come on the show. Ah, oh, that is awesome. Now, his story is beyond anything I've heard. I'm sure lots of people listening have read it. Yeah, make sure you read Shantaram if you love a good novel. So that's happening. You and I have a new business that we are creating. Which is so exciting. I am bursting (laughs) to tell you guys about this, but it's still early, but it's it's early, but it's not like it's pretty developed, but 
Let's give them a hint. No. Just one little word. No. Okay. What? Do I don't think so. I think keep it a secret. How about, just, how about this? You can eat it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is so exciting. So, yes, we're working on a new business venture together, which is really fun. And apart from that, obviously music. And I have a new song coming out soon called Uncomfortable under the new project called Enobi, which is E-N-O-B-E. And yeah, I'm super excited. There's a few songs now ready to go for that project. And everyone's really excited about them. The team, the distributor, everyone I've played them for have just, yeah, everyone loves it. So I'm excited about that. And the Nick Broadhurst album is really, really deep into production. So there's plenty going on there, plus being a papa to the beautiful little Bambi. She's the easiest, most hilarious little character ever. So um, lots of fun and joy in this world. How about you, darling? Oh, and you forgot to mention your crypto NFT Mm -hmm. obsession. Yeah, well, I'm sitting on the sidelines a bit at the moment waiting for some clear indicators in the market, but I'm always there, always doing it. That's exciting. Yeah. How about you, baby? What's the latest and greatest? Mm, New and good, apart from being a mama to beautiful baby girl. I love that so much. It gets better and better and better, like every day. It just gets better and better. And this new business venture that we're working on, which is so exciting, and my podcast, I have one of my dream guests coming on the show next week. Well, I'm interviewing this person next week. So when does it come out? It won't come out for a few weeks, but I'm interviewing this person next week. Like one of my dream no, it's, it's top two. It's top two. Her top two is Oprah. And? Tony Robbins. Yeah! <laughs> and he's coming on. I'm so excited. So you should be. That's super amazing. Babe. Yeah. And I have been manifesting that for so long. So I am so glad it happened. And just a little bit on manifestation. I have a dream podcast guest list spreadsheet. That was a bit of a tongue twister. And he has been on there. And his team emailed me. Like, how amazing is that? And they said, you know, we'd love to have him on Melissa's show. And I'm just like, jaw was on the floor when I got that email. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, we were preparing all the questions today. So that's, that's fun. It's so fun. But, you know, how do you condense a lifetime of questions into an hour and a half? Mm. So, and, and focus on just, you know, a few topics when he is an expert in so many topics. So, yeah, it's, that's really exciting. That is happening. Congrats, babe. Thank you. And in my personal life, oh, okay, I've got a few other passion projects that I'm working on at the moment. And in my personal life, I am learning French, which is really exciting. Well, we all are. Yes, we're all learning French as a family, which is really exciting. And just diving deep into that, which is really fun. And just enjoying every moment, soaking up every moment, not missing any of the magic that we experience every day that's really lighting me up and that is new and good. Mm. Right. Well, today we have a pretty action-packed Q&A episode. Yes. I opened the doors, the question doors to my beautiful Instagram family on all things parenting, food, sleep, baby, pregnancy. And we got, I'm not even joking, 12 pages of questions. My assistant collated them all into a document and there's 12 pages of them. So this is going to be part one of a three-part series. Today, we're going to be focusing on parenting, food and introducing solids to our baby girl and the products that we love and use because we got so many questions about this. So we have lots and lots to get through today. So let's dive right in. We're first going to cover parenting. 
Okay, so first question is, what are your favorite parenting books? Well, I actually wrote a blog post about this and I will link to the blog post in the show notes. There are so many amazing parenting books there. But off the top of my head, if I could choose three, The Power of Showing Up, The Conscious Parent. It's a goodie. It's a real goodie. Or even The Awakened Family by Dr. Shafali. She's been on the podcast. The Power of Showing Up is by Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson. Tina Bryson's coming on the show. Dan Siegel has been on the show. And a third one would be Mothering from Your Center, Mm. which is an amazing book as well. They are a great place to start on all things parenting. But check out the blog post for some others. Okay, very good. And you'll find all the links to everything we mentioned today at melissaambrosina.com forward slash 440, just to make it super easy for you. So babe, how do you describe your parenting style? What type of parenting do you do and how do you get? How did you get to that decision? There are actually so many different types of parenting styles. And we didn't really say we're going to do that one. We've kind of created our own, don't you think? Well, I think as well, it depends on what this person's actually referring to, because there could be parenting in relation to sleep. There could be parenting in relation to food. But I think what we're talking about here is more of a philosophy, a parenting philosophy. And I guess I've got the benefit of having parented once before, and my little boy just turned 16 and is going for his driver's license tomorrow. What? (laughs) Crazy. But he's turned out to be a very beautiful, patient, humble, intelligent sensitive, respectful, well-adjusted well-adjusted soul. And I think there were some key things that I did, even though I was a young man and I wasn't particularly well-researched, I think there were some intuitive things that I did, as well as his mother, that have led to him being where he is today, the way he is. And one of those things is always treating him like an adult. Now, I think that sometimes people can take that the wrong way because, you know, their babies or their toddlers or their what infants. But when I say that, I mean, we never dumbed things down for him. Or spoke to him disrespectfully. For example, right, there's a whole bunch of things you can get for kids to make your life easier. Like things to make it easy when they're eating, like to catch all your food or just things that to me kind of take away the lesson that they have to get right? So for example, bibs. I'm not a huge fan of bibs because I think they need to feel what it's like to get food on them. So they learn that, oh, well, maybe I don't want to do that, right? So that's kind of an example. I think it's kind of like dumbing them down. So we never dumbed him down. We always spoke to him and explained things to him. We didn't just sort of do things and not explain stuff. And another thing was we always gave him time on his own in his room. So every afternoon, to play, like free play. Yeah. So basically when he dropped his second nap, he would just instead take that time to play. So he'd have two hours in his room to just play. And his door was closed. It was a private space for him. And he, I mean, right now he's extremely good, always has been on his own. He doesn't need to be entertained. He doesn't need toys. He doesn't need things. He's got a good imagination. So I think there's a few key things. What do you think, darling? Yeah, you really inspired me with a lot of those things, especially not dumbing things down. It's very easy to be a first-time parent and just buy all of the gadgets and all of the things that do kind of, yeah, just, yeah, I don't know. But it's almost like it it plays on them being a baby and it's like, I I don't even like calling her a baby. She's a a beautiful, divine, divine, sovereign, conscious little being, (laughs) you know, and and she's not a baby. She's 
she's her. She's she just she's Bambi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I guess if you would call our parenting style anything, it would be respectful, loving, kind, natural, gentle, compassionate, soft, and just remembering to treat them like divine sovereign beings. And another thing that we always have done is we ask ourselves, would we like that? Like when we walk in to pick her up or when we change her nappy, would we like someone coming up from behind us and just picking us up without telling us or giving us any warning? You know, would we like someone yanking something out of our hand? Would we like someone... Lifting your legs up when you change the nappy, like doing it gently. and And like Nick said before, you know, we've always explained things. He always explained things to Leo and we do that with Bambi. We always explain what we're doing. We always tell her what we're doing. It's very respectful. It's very gentle. We're always talking to her, explaining everything and being respectful. And I think that's what feels really true and good for us. So a good example of, I think, knowing if we're on the right track is right now she is three quarters of a year old (laughs) Um, and she has an incredible character. She is such a little character. Her personality is the best. Very, very clear personality and she connects with you and she looks you in the eye and she connects with other people and looks at them in the eye and she engages well. So I think you know, the early signs for me are that she's already, you know, quite a well-adjusted little being. And because her character is so strong, I think we are doing the right thing because she's feeling comfortable to express herself. So I think we're on the right track. Well, yeah, it's not even right or wrong. It's just what feels true for us. And we're, everyone's we're on the different. Right, okay, we're on a track that's allowing her to express herself, which yeah. is a good thing. And feels good for us. And I actually had a kinesiology session for Bambi. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but the kinesiologist was just saying how light Bambi is and how she's come through and she doesn't have all of this baggage from past lives. And that really does come through in her character, don't you think? Totally. Okay, next question. How to not repeat a parenting style you were raised with during triggering moments? Oh, this is such a good question. And I have to be really honest with you here. I did repeat how I was parented a lot with Leo. A lot. (laughs) Yes. And that's not something that I'm like super proud of or anything. But at least you can can see it. Yeah. And I'm very aware of it. And it was exactly how I didn't want to parent. Well, I used to say to her, darling, I guarantee you when our little girl arrives, you will not parent the way you're parenting right now. Mm. And you're you're sort of like, yeah, I know, but still couldn't change the pattern. It was like, no, it's not that I couldn't. It was this default because we will. That's couldn't. Well, yeah, we (laughs) we can, but like it was so deep. It was deep, right? And so if we don't have conscious awareness, we're going to just recreate the same things that we grew up with. And that goes for parenting, relationships, food, any area of your life. If we're not aware, we'll just recreate the same thing. We slip into that default. So I absolutely love this question. And I've got a couple of little things that can really help people and what's really helped me. And remember that the first and most powerful thing is awareness, becoming aware that this was your default parenting in this way, but it's not your truth and it's not how you want to parent. So awareness is key. The first step is 
we need to get clear on the type of parent do you want to be and what do you not want to repeat? Get really clear on that. That is the first step. The second step is ask your partner to help hold you accountable in a loving way. You know, I shared with Nick, this is how I want to parent. Can you please help hold me accountable? And before Bambi came along, it was more challenging to iron out those default patterns. But literally, since Bambi's been here, I feel like they're completely ironed out. Yeah, I think that, you know, for me, the one area which I'm constantly asking you to work on is just making sure we maintain a relaxed household and that we don't, we don't stress over little things. Yeah, don't that's, sweat the small stuff. That's, that's definitely... I'm still working on that. A yeah, bit. I, it's something I'd really love to just let it go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's like what I say all the time. It doesn't matter. So was that all of it? No, there's oh. two more steps. Okay. The third step is catching yourself. And in the moment, it can feel like it's quite far away to catch yourself, but catching yourself. And then the fourth thing, I've read a lot of parenting books and a lot of them say that we need to apologize to our kids. And that's a big one. So, you know, if you parent in a way that isn't your truth and maybe is a default from how you were parented, just apologize to them and say, you know, mommy's working on being the best mama that she can be. And that was not in alignment with my higher self. And I apologize and I will work on it. You know, just be honest. I used to apologize a lot to Leo. I read one parenting book that said you should at least apologize once a week. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't say I'm proud of it. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky Leo is who he is because, you know, go through a divorce at a young age and you have to go through, you don't have to, but I went through some pretty challenging times with that. And there was a lot of stress. And, you know, I just reacted from that reactive mind as opposed to that balanced perspective. I was lacking that a lot of the time. So I'd get really angry at times towards him. And the poor thing was just doing his best, you know. So I would often lash out and then apologize. It was just like, it's pretty terrible, actually. But, you know, I did my best and I did apologize. Yeah. And I Not think, a lot, but just occasionally that, that did happen. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. And it shows your children as well that we're human. I remember growing up thinking that my mom and dad were like superheroes. Like they never had emotion because they never showed emotion. They never had a, like any emotion. I was like, they're invincible. I literally thought my parents were invincible. And I think the more that we can allow our children to see who we truly are and our different emotions, that connects us. Vulnerability connects us. And we'll just have a deeper, more beautiful relationship with our kids. Well, Leo definitely knows I'm not superhuman and <laughs> invincible. Okay, so how do you handle different parenting styles? So I'm assuming this means in a relationship, there's two different types of parenting going on. And I think for us, we're fortunate that that's not the case. Like I think the biggest thing that I ask Melissa to be aware of is that relaxed stuff. Just letting things go. Yeah, and not having unnecessary stress in the house. And other than that, I feel like we're very aligned. Yeah, we are super aligned. And if you find yourself in a position where you aren't aligned with your partner, one of the best things that you can do is just sit down, practice CCC, crystal clear communication, and work out your different styles and see where you are willing to compromise. Like what are the absolute, this is really important to me, I'm not willing to compromise on that. And where can we be flexible? Because it takes two to parent and raise well-adjusted kids. So put your stuff aside and do what's best for them. But I think sitting down and really working out what's important to you and what's important to your partner 
Where are you willing to be flexible and where are you willing to come together? Having an open and honest and loving conversation and practicing CCC is how you handle different parenting styles. Mm. I think as well, get clear on where you're actually aligned. I would start there, write it down, you know, and then you can say, okay, cool. Well, look, all this stuff we're aligned on, because you probably realize you are aligned on more than you think, and then work on the things that you're not, as Melissa said, and figure out where you're willing to be flexible. This is an interesting question. Can life be enough without children? When I read that, my first thought was, okay, what about the monastic life, monks, for example, mm. reverends, people who choose life of celibacy, and they find the depths of their spirit through their spiritual practice and service. I think that, of course, that's super important for everyone anyway. It's all relevant, right? It's relevant to your own circumstances. And we know lots of people who have chosen not to have children and seem perfectly happy. Mm. And I think that, you know, this question really does need to come back to you, you know, instead of asking, is it enough for someone else? Like, is it enough for you? And I can only speak from my experience and I have this deep primal yearning to be a mama, but there are many people out there that don't have children. I've chosen not to have children. And that obviously feels really good for them. But I remember asking the same question before I had that deep yearning where I woke up and I was like, yes, I want to be a mom. I remember asking the same question and go within, sit with yourself and really dig deep into that answer for yourself. Yeah. Well said. Thoughts on screen time. This is an easy one for us. (laughs) No. No, no. I've read so much about this and interviewed many experts. And for us, it is a 1000% no. Cal Newport, the whole brain child and many Silicon Valley people and experts have said, you know, I'm not giving my kids screens. And we love and follow a lot of the Steiner philosophy and there are big no on screens. And I've seen what it does to kids. So for us, and you know what? This is not a judgment on anyone. Our, some of our best friends put the TV on for their kids, give them iPads, give them phones, and there is zero judgment. Zero. You've got to do what feels right and true for you. But for Nick and I, it is an absolute no. We, yeah, we've never, ever had the TV up since she's born. We have a hidden TV for those of you that have seen our house on social media or in any photos our tv is hidden and it pop like you press a button and it comes up so we have never like we don't have the tv on in front of her uh, we don't even watch it our office is upstairs and she never sees us on our laptops our phones are not in her sight when she is around when she is awake our phones are out of her sight and that's just what feels really good for us they are addictive And we just don't want to expose her to it. Yeah. And coming back to the phones, we don't ever use them in front of her. When I say ever, it's like probably 95% of the time would be we don't. Yes, that's true. Sometimes Um, a phone call comes in or whatever, you know, it's hard to ignore. And she FaceTimes my mom and dad once a week. And but she, we would never write a text message or jump on an app or do or anything. Or be on Instagram or no, we don't do that sort of stuff. It's just a big no-no. Sometimes I'll walk up to my phone and put Spotify on and listen to Nick Broadhurst and some jazz music, but that's it. I'm not sitting on my phone scrolling whilst she is watching me. Yep. That's a pretty firm answer, I think. 
So what does a day in the life look like for Bambi and what's their schedule? Now, I know <laughs> we've done an episode on this, but let's just give them what's, what's today. Okay, we'll talk about today. So she woke up at seven and we have some milk. Breast milk. Breast milk, yep. And I do all of my feeds laying down and that is because I've had some back and shoulder and neck stuff. So <laughs> we lay down and have some milk together, which is so beautiful. I love that time with her and I talk to her and ask her about her sleep and her dreams, which is really beautiful. And then we have a little play and at eight o'clock she has solids. And then we have a bit more of a play. And then... Just some French time. She has, we have our nanny, Tiff. And she plays with Tiff for about 45 minutes from like 8.30 to maybe 9.15-ish. And they play nonstop and they, she only speaks to Bambi in French and they have the best time ever. <laughs> it's really giggling. cute. Yeah. Laughing their heads off. It's so cute. Crawling around the house. It's really beautiful. And in that time, I have my breakfast and maybe have my Epsom salt bath and do whatever else I need to do. And Nick started work by this time. And then Bambi has a sleep from like 9.30 to 10.30. And then we have more of a play. Oh, no. Then when, I, when she wakes up, we have milk again. And she has solids about an hour later. And we usually go down to the beach and play down there and have our lunch down there. And then from 1.30 till 3, she has another sleep. That's a bigger sleep. Which is right now. Which is right now, which is when we record. And then at three o'clock, she'll wake up and we'll have milk and her and I usually go for a walk or we'll go back to the beach. We have mama and daughter time. You know, it's really, really beautiful. We might catch up with a friend and another baby and yeah, go for a big, beautiful walk out in nature. I try and get her out in nature as much as possible, especially in the middle of the day and in the afternoon when she's awake, we do lots of time outside. And then she has solids again at five o'clock and we have dinner with her. And that's something that's really important is that we eat with her. I've read lots about that and why that's so important. Meal time is a very sacred, special time. So we sit with her and we bless our food and we be with her. And then after... Well, a new thing is I'm taking her for a little walk after dinner because we're going to be building a house soon and we're just looking at different houses and design. And I just chat to her about what we're going to build. <laughs> it's pretty cute. So cute. And then after that, we do bath time. Oh, baby Abiyanga. Mm -hmm. Papa does baby Abiyanga and then they have a bath together and it's so cute. They have the best time in the bath, laughing, singing. She loves bath time. And then, yeah, we get her dressed and she has milk and then she does books with Papa and then she goes to bed at seven o'clock. Mm. That's it. Yep. That's a day in the life of Bambi Girl. And that'll change, you know, that will change. Yeah, That's just, we're changing it at the moment a little bit. Yeah, we're just, um, I think she's having a bit too much day sleep at the moment. So we're just experimenting with playing around with that. And it will evolve, you know, when she gets to that age where she drops that first nap as well, it'll change again. So, you know, motherhood is the embodiment of the divine feminine you know, being in flow. You've got to be in flow. Yes, you do. Okay, next question. How did you communicate with your loved ones not to give plastic toxic items to Bambi? It's a really good question. And it's very, very simple. Practice crystal clear communication. Well, we did it before she was born. We did. Mm. And my mum loves buying things for Bambi. Loves it, loves it, loves it. So I made a list of all of the approved 
organic, toxic-free things and websites. And I just said, here you go. If you want to ever buy her anything, books, clothes, toys, these are the websites. And she now has a list that she can go to. And that's really, really helpful for her. But just practice crystal clear communication. Yep. It's worked well for us because um, we just don't have stuff, you know, there's not heaps of baby stuff. Like you wouldn't even know there's a baby here really. Besides her bedroom. (laughs) Yeah, her bedroom. How do you manage people using swear words around your kids? Such a good question. And this was something that I had to talk to my brother about. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes it might just be a friend who you don't see all the time and they drop an F-bomb or something and, you know, you just let it go. You don't have to like be a Nazi about it all the time. But if you're seeing people regularly, then I think that's fair to communicate. And we don't swear. And I think you can always just say, Bambi's listening, you know, and then they go, oh, oops, you know, they, they're probably not even aware of it. Usually they might not have kids. They're just not aware of it. And they also think that babies may not be able to hear what you're actually saying, but they hear and feel everything. So I had to have this conversation. I had to practice crystal clear communication. I had to have this conversation with my brother who regularly drops an F-bomb and I would call him if I was driving and Bambi was in the back and he'd be dropping them like it's hot. And I would just say, as soon as I got on the phone to him, I'd just say, hey, darling, Bambi's in the car with me. So just be mindful of your language. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. No worries. Yeah. we. (laughs) One interesting thing to navigate has been one of my singles coming out for Anobi. I won't tell you the name because it has explicit in it, but it does have the F-bomb in the title of the the song. And the chorus has multiple F-bombs. That sounds terrible, but it's not. It's actually a positive message. So we've been playing that in the house. And because it's a positive message, I don't think she's really clicking with the F-bomb, but she just dances to it (laughs) because I have to hear it. I've I've got to listen to it on different speakers. So anyway, yep, CCC. All right, advice for managing talking back. I want to raise independent, free-thinking kids. Mm. Well, I guess, you know, this is something which we've been working on with Leo. He's not someone that talks back a lot, but, you know, as they go through puberty and they're teenagers, it's only natural that they're going to want to push the boundary. And I remember in The Awakened Family, she said that it's totally okay and totally normal for teenagers, for example, to push back. It's actually a really, really important part of their development because they need to establish who they are in this world and what are the boundaries? What are their boundaries? They establish this by pushing, essentially. And she said, it's really important that you have your boundaries with that but you occasionally let them win, which I thought really interesting. Occasionally let them just win here and there because it's really important for them and their development. So we've been fortunate, Leo has not like been a nightmare kid or anything, but he still has pushed back at times. And for me, I'm super relaxed about it. Melissa is probably less relaxed about it, mm. for sure. And I think there's a difference between talking back and sharing your opinion and them testing the boundaries. There's there's a difference between them. But they're both fine. Yeah, they're they're all fine. Because I did that. Yeah. I would say things just to annoy my parents. <laughs> of course. You, you would. <laughs> yeah, of course. I was a pain in the butt, but I think I'm a decent person now. I think it's just a healthy part of being a kid. And I think with your children, one of the best things you can do, and, and by the way, everything that we're sharing is just our personal opinion. You do not have to follow what we say as Bible. We're just sharing what we have experienced and what's worked for us. And also what we've learned from the podcast and the guests and books and all that. Yeah, exactly. But I think also asking, you know, and something that we ask Leo 
And you can ask your children is like, what made you come to that decision? Whether they're sharing their opinion or whether it's talking back, you could just say to them, oh, what made you come to that decision? Or how did you come up with that decision? That's really interesting. You know, there's times where we know Leo is just saying things just to get a reaction. And then there's actually times where he is genuinely curious curious about the other side or seeing the other side. I tend to be a bit firm if I know he's just trying to get a reaction. I'll say, dude, I'm not answering that's a stupid question. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> it might not be the best parenting, but that's what I say. <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah, asking, you know, what made you come to that decision and being curious yourself instead of going and attacking them, or not attacking them, instead of reacting back, you know, just saying, hey, that's very interesting perspective. How did you come up with that? I've also, because Leo is a very intelligent kid, and I've said, well, I've sent him multiple educational things on various topics that he wants to talk about. And if he brings up a perspective that is, that I think is a bit sort of annoying, to be honest, but I know that I've sent him information about it to read about, and he hasn't read it or listened, I'll say, dude, just, I'm very happy to have this conversation, but please, let's have an educated discussion. At least go and watch this or listen to this or read this, and then let's have a discussion, because right now we're going to go into a conversation, and it's based on really nothing. Hmm. and I just would rather have a meaningful conversation with you. And I've said pretty much exactly that to him mm-hmm. on certain topics. Yeah. So does that answer that question, darling? Yeah, that's yeah. really great. How much do you play with Bambi? Do you allow free play? This is such a great question, and I also wondered this at the start, and we kind of shared before what we do with her, but I absolutely think free play is amazing. And I didn't really understand the power of it until Nick shared with me about what they did with Leo. And I just look at Leo and he is such a divine, well-adjusted, very intelligent, kind human being. The proof is in the pudding. Mm. And so, yes, there are times where we are playing with her. We are on the ground, playing blocks, reading books, doing things like that. And then there are times where she is just playing on her own at my feet whilst I'm in the kitchen or in her room whilst I'm laying next to her. She's just playing. And I think that's really important. Free play is very important in a safe environment, of course. It fosters independence. And I think it's really important for them. I also often remind people, like, you know what, don't don't give Bambi a toy. Just let her watch. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I slipped into very, very easily at the start of parenting. It was like, okay, she's agitated or she's oh, and then she's just sitting upset. there doing nothing. I'm like, no, no, yeah, she's and then just like, observing. I'll, I'll put like five toys in front of her and I'm like, here, here. And I notice my mum does it too when she's here. Like my mum will like shake something in front of her face and then in the other hand, there's something else and then she'll offer her something else. And I'm like, whoa. And if you think about it, <laughs> Would you like someone like shoving five toys in front of your face and shaking a rattle and putting all these things? No, you'd be like, get out of my face. So when we do offer Bambi things, we will offer her one or two things to play with. And, you know, I'll have two things in my hand, one in my right, one in my left, and I'll let her choose which one she wants. And then I'll put the other one away. So we're playing with one thing at a time. They don't want 17 toys in front of them. It's overwhelming for them. The colors, the stimulation. So remember that you don't have to always have a plethora of things on the go. You know, I remember as well, at the start, I would push Bambi in the pram and I'd give her something to play with. And Nick's like, she's got the best mobile hanging over her, the trees, you know, the ocean. She's staring at the ocean like, 
nature is the best mobile. Forget those little wooden mobiles that hang over them whilst they lay down. We have one of those, by the way. But the best mobile is the trees. Go outside, the birds, you know, the ocean, the sound of the ocean, all of those things. So we don't have to overstimulate them. Mm. A good example is she has a high chair that she sits in to eat and also just to observe. So when we're in the kitchen, we need to cook or something, she can just chill. And often there's just like heaps of things to play with on the tray. And I'll be like, hey, just let her watch us cook. Mm. Just let her observe what we're doing because you're training her that she must always be busy. Exactly. And we don't want that. We want her to be able to be still. And that's the thing, like Leo would come out to dinner with us when he was five, six, seven, eight, nine, and still, and he doesn't have an iPad in front of him. He doesn't have anything. Like he's not one of those kids that needed a bag of toys. I was one of those kids. (laughs) I remember going to church and I had like a coloring in book and all of these things so that I was entertained whilst I was there. But Leo didn't need that. And I think it's really important to just allow them to be and to observe exactly what we're doing in the kitchen and things like that. So yeah, hope that helps. What are our favorite activities with Bambi? I think we've probably answered quite a bit of this, but I think, yeah, being outside, dancing with her, playing with these sort of Montessori blocks, which are really cool. Reading, of course. Bath time. Eating's fun, you know, like new foods, introducing new foods is fun. Just giving her a mango seed, you know, like that's an activity because it's challenging the way she can grip something with her fingers and her senses with smell and taste and touch, just crawling around with her, climbing, helping her, or just being near her when she wants to sort of pull herself up and stand up on things and make sure she doesn't hurt herself. Yeah, just all that. But of course, the beach is a big thing for us. Yeah. Letting her crawl in the sand is getting completely schnitzled. <laughs> My goodness. She has sand top to toe and just allowing her to do that. It's really beautiful. And one of my mentors once said to me, Melissa, bring her along with you in your life. Let her see what you do. Bring her along. They will become her favorite activities. Cooking with you will become her favorite activity. Cleaning the house. So we bring her into our life. We allow her to see what we do and bring her along for the journey. Yes. Okay, next question is, how do you make a stepchild not feel unloved and unappreciated? And how do you manage the jealousy that might come up from a stepchild? And how can a step-parent create a loving and strong relationship with his or her bonus child or sibling? I mean, obviously, that's a super relevant question for us because we have a 16-year-old and a nine-month-old. So yes, they're from different mums. Leo's been the only child for 16 years. He's had cousins and things come along, but he's never been around a lot of children, really. So for him, we just included him in the pregnancy and got him excited about it, really, because I'm sure there would have been some subconscious concerns or doubts. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, though. I don't know with Leo. He was pretty chill. He was pretty chill. And then when she came along, he just, you know, it didn't take long, a couple of days, and all of a sudden he's just, you can just tell the, the affection is just there. He loves her so much. He loves her. Calls her Minnie. Yeah, Minnie. I think she responds to the name Minnie more than she responds to Bambi. Yeah. They have such a sweet, sweet bond. It's really beautiful. But I think when it comes to stepchildren, including them as much as possible, having special things that they do, that only they do, is really powerful. Like maybe they always get the nappy for you or 
maybe they always feed them or whatever it is, but having little special things that only that child does with the newborn could be a really beautiful thing to do to foster that relationship. Yeah, definitely. Okay, this is the last question in the parenting section, and we're going to move on to food in a second, which I know everyone's going to love. Everyone loves the food talk. What do you find the most challenging part of being a parent? Hmm. For me, so far, the most challenging part of being a mum has been the physical pain in my body, the upper back, the neck. I had severe nerve pain down my right arm and RSI in my wrists. So I think that for me has been... And what about there was breastfeeding as well? Oh, the breastfeeding journey. Yes. That, which we will talk about as well in another episode when we cover all the breastfeeding questions. And I have shared about that before in a previous episode, but yeah, I think the breastfeeding stuff and the pain in my back and I am strengthening my back. I'm working out. I'm strengthening all the muscles in my back and my arms. So it's getting better and better, guys, which is awesome. But what about you? Probably not having access to your boobs. (laughs) They are out of bounds. (laughs) (laughs) I have managed to get a few touches in lately, a few little tweaks, (laughs) a few cranks. (laughs) Unexpectedly from like, you take me by surprise when you do it and I'm like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> but they're out of bounds Obviously for a while. just during love mate I just walk past and like crank her tits or something like ah. yeah he does that he yeah does that maybe crazy. I do no I don't, I don't. <laughs> no seriously is that your answer yes okay no. no it's not most challenging part would be I don't know if I found it challenging actually well then it's not the most challenging part what were you going to say I can't think of anything like I'm just like let's have more I know. We want two more, <laughs> 10 more. So, it's the best. If it was super challenging, I wouldn't be thinking that in nine months. No. I mean, I don't know. I've just really relished the, the challenge of it. And I don't think the challenge is the challenge as no. such. I mean, the first few months you're figuring stuff out and, you know, there's less sleep and there's breastfeeding challenges. And uh, that, that was probably the hardest part was just supporting you yeah. and seeing you go through physical pain. And I don't think I've been particularly challenged. No. When compared to the first one with Leo, that was harder. Yeah, because he was in and out of hospital. He had... Not so much hospital at the beginning. He does a little bit later. Oh, okay. Well, okay, so he was cesarean born. We didn't know about seeding and microbiome and all that stuff back then, right? So he breastfed for six months and then uh, his mum couldn't breastfeed anymore. She wanted to, but she had terrible mastitis. So he went on to an organic formula, but... Obviously, dairy is challenging for babies who have gone through cesarean a lot of the time because they haven't developed that microbiome. He developed really bad eczema and he got (laughs) ear infections and then he had to have grommets in his ears. And it was just like... An asthma. He got asthma when he was about two, yet remained the most divine. Like I remember the first time I was kind of like rushing to hospital because I thought he's going to like stop breathing. And he's just in the back talking like... (laughs) Could hardly talk. Hardly breathe, but smiled the whole way. Oh. I'm like, oh, melt. What a beautiful little soul. Oh. Um, so compared to that and having a more aligned partnership, I'm just like, whatever. This is so easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next question comes into the food category, which is fun. What do you feel about food play? And can you define, darling, what is food play? Because I actually don't know what that means. <laughs> okay, so food play is basically when you give children 
food to play with. So obviously they're going to eat it and they play with it and they throw it around and it goes everywhere. And of course, yes, we want them to feel the food and we want them to get acquainted with different textures and things like that. I wouldn't be overly encouraging, yay, play with your food. Yes, throw it up and down. Yes, blood it all over the wall. Yes, like I probably wouldn't be saying those sorts of things. And I really do. Do you think if that sort of falls into the category of potentially dumbing down? A little bit. And, and I wanted to say like, there's a lot of things in parenting that we teach children how to do, and then we have to unteach them. So we give them a dummy and then we take it away. We give them- Which we uh, haven't done, by the way. No, we haven't done that. We teach them to poo and wee in their nappy, and then we have to teach them how to not do that. We swaddle them, and then we have to get them used to not being in the swaddle. So for us, we never did those things because I thought, well, why am I going to teach them how to be comfortable in a swaddle when I have to take that away from them eventually? And why am I going to give her a dummy when eventually I'm going to have to take that away? Why am I going to promote playing with food and then if that's eventually, not something we're going to do. Yeah, and I then eventually always... say, don't play with your food. And that, this is what I read in a parenting book. It's like, don't encourage throwing the food around if you're eventually going to say, don't play with your food. What's one of the biggest things a lot of parents say around the dinner table? It's, stop playing with your food. Stop playing with your food. Eat your <laughs> food. Stop playing with your food. And so... But is that what food play is? What is food play? Well, I think definitely explore 100%. That's what they've got to do. They've got to explore. But I'm not sure whether this person is referring to like, I don't know, like throwing it around. I don't know. I'm not sure. But yes, I think Or is it is it baby-led? Is it baby-led weaning they're referring to? Possibly. Because baby-led weaning is a bit different. That's where you obviously give them a selection of foods and let them just choose and eat. And look, we... Should we talk about that quickly? Well, that is a question. Whether okay, we've, we'll get to that. We've, we'll yeah. get to that because we had an interesting experience with that. But we did always look at what we're doing through the filter of, do we have to undo this? Yes. And I think that's been great because I just realized, oh, she hasn't had a dummy. Like I just clicked like, oh, I forgot that babies have dummies because she hasn't had one. We didn't do dummies. We didn't do swaddling. We've done elimination communication from three months old. So she poos and wheezes in the potty every single day. We literally, like, just then I walked up from the beach. It was like one twenty-two to be exact, and she's going down at one thirty. The minute I put her down to put a nappy on, like a fresh nappy on, well, not a fresh one because she came from the beach with no nappy, but putting a nappy on. So straight away the thumb goes in the mouth. She finds that comforting as something she does as she's going to sleep. And only when she's just going to sleep, maybe for a few minutes, right? And again, we didn't have to introduce something else that was artificial because she found her own way to just soothe. Yeah, when she came out of the womb, didn't she was sucking her fingers, remember? It was so cute. And it's not even soothing because she's not upset. It's just like, oh, I'm going to sleep. And so she she just knows. It's like... Like a comforter. It's like, so nuts to see how on schedule she is. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's crazy. Like you literally get to that time and she'll just make the same noises, <laughs> put a thumb in her mouth and she's like, I'm ready for bed, guys. Like, yeah, she's let's like, go. please, let's do it. Yeah. I hope that answers the question. Well, I think what we didn't sort of say there was that, you know, we want to think how do we want them to be in the future? And we just have her eat with us like we do. So we stop and we bless our food and we take three deep breaths. So she sees us closing our eyes and doing three deep breaths and she sees us talking like blessing out loud and doing gratitudes with Leo. And 
these sorts of things we'd like her to do and feel like it's a normal thing to sit down and close your eyes and put your hands over your food and bless your food and say thank you to mother nature like i think it's a beautiful thing and i wish most kids all kids would do that you know reverence over the divinity like we have food that's a miracle a lot of people don't it is a miracle and i think from day one if you can set them up with healthy habits and a beautiful relationship with food, that's just going to benefit them so much. So, you know, she knows when she gets in her high chair and we pull it up to the table, she knows what we're about to do. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. And even like with how much food to give her, we're developing that in her now. Like I I often wonder, like I, I look around at adults and obviously there's a a large proportion of people in the world who are overweight. And I wonder how much of that is coming from right now, this stage. When you're introducing foods and giving them, how much food are you giving them? How often? Is it just like constant snacking, constant this, constant that? Because I think if we develop these habits where they eat in a defined window of time like we do, it's good for their digestion, number one. And we know roughly how much is enough for her. And she would probably keep eating if we didn't just stop. Like I think we have to be parents and actually, you know, know how much to give her. And she does stop. She does, yeah, she does. But I think sometimes like with fruits and things, she just keep going. Yeah, I think this is a really important thing to mention. Like I see a lot of parents, and again, there's absolutely zero judgment here, but I see a lot of parents feeding all day, like offering snacks and food all day. And if you think about our digestion as an adult, does my digestion thrive when I'm snacking all day? Absolutely not. We need time for our food to process and digest. And if that is the case for us, how on earth would their undeveloped digestive system cope with the load of constant eating all day long, constant snacking? Like for me, it just didn't make sense. So she eats breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and she has her milk, obviously. There's no snacking. There's no snacking. And she's never grabbing at my boob. She's not grabbing things off my plate. She knows when it's food time. And I feel like she's got a very healthy relationship with food mm. already. And well, she eats everything. Yeah. She loves food. Like she'll eat anything. I, you know, even things where I'm like, oh, that's pretty plain. Or, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I could have added a bit more cinnamon to that sweet potato. She'll still eat it. It's just amazing. And we'll talk about what the foods are in a minute to give you an idea of what a plant-based little munchkin is eating. The next question is in relation to introducing solids and how is it going so far for us with the solids? And this has been, I sort of alluded to this before with the baby led weaning stuff. We've played with that, but we did have an incident at the beach where we did give her a piece of carrot that we weren't sure was quite steamed enough. It was borderline and sure enough, she chomped a massive piece of it off, choked, and we were with friends like quite a few friends and they were on saw Bambi choking and I had to perform the old tip upside down and give her a good old whack on the back trick. And in the moment, it wasn't particularly scary for me. It was just like, I knew what to do and I did it. But in hindsight, it was freaking scary, right? And we, just so you know, we did a baby CPR course, which I highly recommend every single human being does. It was a baby first aid. Baby first aid, sorry, Burns, yes. CPR. Snake bites. Snake bites, choking. Really, really important because I was just like, boom, knew exactly what to do. From that course. And everyone was kind of like, Nick, why were you so calm? Like she was in trouble. Oh, he was so calm. It was amazing. You were my hero in that moment. 
he was so calm. It was it was awesome. And even if you don't have kids, I highly recommend you do a course like that because, you know, your friend's kids or nieces or nephews or anyone, you know, in the street, you might need to perform it. Yeah. And everyone's going to have a different level of comfort with baby lead weaning and giving them food that they can pick up themselves and put in their mouths. And we still do it, but we just do it with really soft foods. Like for example, sweet potato, such a no brainer. We've decided to carrots just a bit, unless you steam it for like three and a half hours. (laughs) We've just decided that some of those harder foods just pose an unnecessary risk, you know? Yeah, so we are doing a mixture of baby lead weaning and purees, and that feels really good for us. We love that. And with the purees, you can pack in so much nutrients. So for example, I can get things into her purees like dulse. You know, I can get kelp into her purees. I can get things like cinnamon and turmeric, like all of these amazing things. Olives. Yeah, olives that, you know, she could not chew on a piece of dolls right now. So I can well, She could, get, but she probably choke on it. Yeah, I could get all of these power-packed things into her purees. And then, yes, I'll give her some steamed pumpkin and some steamed sweet potato that she can touch and pick up and feel and a mango seed. She loves mango seeds. But the bulk of the calories that she's getting would come from the purees, just that we're still letting her have that time to discover, but doing it safely. And I think that's a really nice mix and that works well for us. Bambi is such an awesome eater. She loves her food and she tries everything and she's only got two little toothy pegs. Like (laughs) I know. There's only so much you can do with that. And for us It made sense when we thought about it because I was looking at her poo because I could see her poo when she poos in the potty. There was a lot of undigested food in her stool and their digestive systems are very immature. And so I love the idea of purees because we're supporting their digestive system. That's why, you know, smoothies and purees are great for us as well. They're very easy to digest. And yes, we want to let them play with the food and feel the texture and masticate that around in their mouth so they get an understanding of it. But I also think purees are awesome. So what about for the people listening saying, yes, but you wouldn't have a Vitamix 20,000 years ago? Do you know what they did 20,000 years ago? The mother would have chewed it in her mouth and then given it to the baby. Mm -hmm. Or they would have got like a rock, you know, and bashed it and they would have given them things as well well also you know this is interesting you know i I find the sort of discussion around you know is fruit good for kids like i've seen that come up a couple of times i'm like are you serious like in nature what else do you have that's already wrapped up and mashed for you (laughs) like fruits bananas literally like a puree ready to go with a nice little wrapper so you know we've been guided by that too and making sure that we are looking to nature for some guidance and i actually wanted to go a little bit different to what Melissa wanted to do on the on the foods. Yes, we. This was yeah, this is interesting. We we had different views on this. Yeah, I was wanting to actually follow more of a raw approach, thinking about nature and thinking, well, what's in nature? What would she be able to eat at this age with no teeth or with little teeth? And you were following Gabriel Cousins' book, Rainbow Green Live Food Cuisine, fantastic book, and. He's been on the podcast and he has a chapter in his book about rainbow babies. But at the end of the day, we've actually just done that plus. Like we've read everything and we've gone, well, here's the commonalities between them all and sort of found a middle ground that feels good for both of us. And I'm perfectly happy with it, to be honest. I've got no issues whatsoever with doing that. I'm all good. 
Awesome. I just thought, you know, she's having breast milk, which is coming, it's a living, beautiful food that's come straight from the breast. Why are we cooking stuff? It just didn't make sense to me because, you know, a lot of stuff I've studied, especially during my juice fasting phase, <laughs> was the original sin was actually cooking food. Now, I'm not saying we should all be raw vegans because I'm not, but... But I get it, you know, I think everyone could benefit from some more fresh, living, food. living real food in their diet. The roughage, you know, I've, I'm sure everyone could benefit from that. And so I get where you were coming from for that. And we still have that in her diet a lot. Yeah. Because there's, for example, we may have an avocado, olive, and cucumber with fresh mint blend or something like that. And you're still getting that in there. It's just getting blended up. Or you may do, say, sweet potato that's been cooked, but you might work something in there that's not cooked. So hope that sort of helps. Okay, next question. What supplements does a plant-based baby need and what supplements do you give Bambi? Well, first of all, we're not doctors or dietitians or nutritionists. Nutritionists, thank you. We are humble servants. <laughs> but And you can check out the Plant-Based Juniors book. They are registered dietitian nutritionists and they have supplements that they recommend for plant-based babies. You can check that out. They have been on my podcast. They are awesome. And so they recommend certain things. Now, vitamin D being one of them, she is so tanned. <laughs> I'm like, everyone says, I can't believe how tanned Bambi is. And that's just from going for a swim in the yeah. ocean. And we sit under an umbrella and blah, blah, blah. But you just pick up extra UV light, right? So I think she's all good there. And we are out in nature every day with yeah. her. So we feel like she's getting her vitamin D that way. Then you've got DHA, EPA, and we have a really beautiful um, algae-based oil that we use, which we'll link to in the show notes. And I don't even know if this is really essential, to be honest, because her diet's really well-rounded. But given that it's just such a clean oil, we're like, you know what? Let's just give her a tiny little squirt once a day. No, it's not even once a day. Okay. I do it, I maybe do it twice a week. Okay. Yeah, I don't do it all the time. And I think with supplements, I just think go back to nature. And if you are giving them a broad range of real, chemical-free, organic, whole foods, and you're giving them fruits and vegetables and beans and legumes and nuts and seeds and fats, and if you're giving them all of that, they will be getting everything that they need. So I think always go for the food option first. And then if your baby is showing signs that they need supplementation, look at the plant-based juniors and what they recommend. And, you know, when you can, you know, if you need to do testing or whatever, get some blood tests, I don't know. But if your baby does need some other things, look at their book and dive into what they recommend there. I'm always open to new ideas too. And I've been reading a bit about B12 and how, you know, the body has its own workarounds for that. If you're not getting a lot of it in the diet, which I'm super fascinated in. So we're just not rushing into anything right now because she's growing beautifully and she's happy and she's intelligent. And, and she's healthy. She's happy and healthy. She's never, ever had a sniffle and she hasn't been sick once. So we're like, I think she's good, you know? So we're just taking our time with that. But do what feels good. And not everyone's raising their baby on plants. And that was are. another question. Is your baby going to be completely plant-based? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Until she asks otherwise. This is a similar question. It's about supplements or health foods. I think they're probably referring to like superfoods, potentially. So 
yes. I would say the only superfoods we really use would be spirulina. It's a really great source of iron. And chlorella. Chlorella a little bit, not as much, but spirulina seems to be the main one that we use. Not much, just one little tablet, really good quality Hawaiian spirulina, as well as seaweeds, which I wouldn't really put on there as superfoods, to be honest. Everything is a superfood. Everything's a superfood. <laughs> there are things like we haven't done yet, but in rainbow green live food cuisine or living food cuisine, quite early on, I think maybe seven or eight months, he introduces mesquite. Because of all the minerals and different properties of that, we haven't done that, which we totally could be doing. Banana and mesquite. Oh, hello. Mm, amazing. Yum. You know what you could do? Just get a banana, roll it in mesquite, lather it in nut, nut butter. Almond butter. Blech. Oh my gosh. Get in my belly. Yum. Anyway, that was a bit of food porn. So that's that would be the main thing, really. Nothing fancy, just simple whole foods. What age did you introduce food to Bambi? We introduced food at seven months and one day. To be specific. And for us, it just felt right at that time. She was showing no signs. You know, I know lots of people that say at five months or four months that my baby's pulling at my plate or smacking their lips. Like Bambi never did any of that. And we would have just gone a bit longer as well. But then I was reading that if you wait too long, they start to not get as much iron from your breast milk after six months. So I was a little bit cautious of that and wanted to introduce some foods then. But I mean, oh, I just, she was thriving or well, she is thriving on breast milk. So I wanted to keep that as long as possible. What were Bambi's first few foods? Now, what was the actual first food? It was avocado. Avo. No, it was just plain avocado. Plain avocado. Mm -hmm. And then we just did mono. Yes, mono for about eating. three days. So we'd introduce avo for three days. Then we'd introduce Mango, Mango for three days, and then cucumber for three days, and banana. We wanted to do that mono sort of diet, and that felt really good for us. And uh, she loves it and thrives. And we started more with fruits. I mean, avocado is a fruit, of course. And that is also, we are in the middle of summer, and we live in a tropical climate, so that is also yeah. eating with the seasons. It's relevant to us. And even when, if you look at something like apple, for example... Most people, if you think of apple, you think of peeling it, stewing it, cooking it, blending, you know, you don't have to do that. We just got the apple, peeled it, and blended it in the Vitamix, and you just get this perfect apple sauce. Mm, so yummy. Then you can add a bit, a bit cinnamon. of cinnamon. Mm, uh, we also started adding flax and chia, just a small amount. We'd blend into, say, the apple, and it makes it more of like a little porridgey type thing. And now we're doing veggies and you know, different fruits. We mix it up. She had dragon fruit the other day. Mm -hmm. She's had cherries, which, oh, dragon fruit, by the way, for like two days afterwards, just like <laughs> bright purple, <laughs> pink, wee and poo, which gives you a bit of a shock at first. We are doing soaked nuts and seeds overnight, which is a little bit blended into, say, pumpkin or we're doing legumes, different types of beans that we cook. We soak overnight. We soak with a bit of apple cider vinegar, cook them really well. And as we said before, doing healthy fats, avocado, olives are a great one. Um, would love olive oil. Olive oil. Would love to be doing, not much olive oil, a drizzle here and there. Would love to be doing coconut flesh, but just can't seem to find organic, beautiful coconuts. So, you know. Oh, and she has seaweeds. So we seaweeds, do different yeah. seaweeds. So We've got about dolls. eight different types of seaweeds, mm, which we get from, where do we get those from? Pacific Harvest, I think. And we try and introduce just a tiny bit of, each of those so that mm. she's getting all of the different minerals from that as well. And iodine, of course. 
Will you try non-vegan allergens such as fish, eggs, and milk to ensure that Bambi's not allergic? It's not something we are, like we've spoken about it and- We haven't done it yet. No, we, we may get a friend to bring around some peanut butter and just put a bit on her lip, you know, something like that. Because um, peanuts are obviously one of those things. We just know that she's all good. We just do. But yeah, in some form or another, we'll do something. We just don't know what yet. We haven't really decided. Because she'll probably get exposure to eggs, I'd say, by mistake when she's growing up in a cake or something. I don't know. But milk, fish, I mean, she's not going to come across a lot of it. But I would say at some point, but not quite yet. Mm. I would like to do peanuts soon, though. Yeah. That's about it, I think. Maybe egg. Mm. We don't have them in our house, so it's kind of like, it feels weird to go and buy a thing of eggs or... I know. It's just kind of weird for us now. But anyway, again, no judgment. I used to smash eggs. I used to be the best. I used to make this freaking omelette. What was it called? The cheesy egg omelette? Oh, cheesy yeah, omelet. the cheesy egg omelette. And it's egg whipped with tapioca, I think lemon juice, and then you fry it in a pan of really hot like ghee and the thing just bubbles up into this insanely light fluffy it tastes like you've just put cheese all the way through it i don't know why it's so good but of course we don't do that anymore so what does bambi get for breakfast which we sort of answered before but she always has fruit this is her fruit meal and we do that because if you have say sweet potato and beans for breakfast by the time she has lunch that may not have gone through and you're putting fruit on top and it's going to want to go through very quickly because fruit digests so fast and it's just going to ferment. We treat her digestive system how we yeah, would like treat us. ours. So they have a very immature digestive system and we follow food combining principles. And so fruit first, always on an empty stomach. And that's what we personally do is we eat fruit first on an empty stomach. And that will ensure that you are not creating a fermentation pot and a SIBO chamber (laughs) and gas and wind, and which is what a lot of babies struggle with is colic and wind and gas and all of those things. And Bambi hasn't had any of that. And I think it's really important that, yes, fruits are so great for them, but do it first, do it for breakfast. So she will have, yeah, fruit always first thing as her breakfast. No, it's interesting that in plant-based juniors, they recommend having fruit with each meal. Now, a lot of books recommend yeah, that. Yes, it's, it's very common. It's very common. So they'll be eating their yogurt with blueberries and then some sweet potato. And just think about it, guys. If you sat down for a meal right now and you had a bowl of fruit and a big curry and then some sweet potato chips and guacamole, would you not feel really sick? And then a glass of milk? Would you not, I, like, my stomach hurts just thinking about that food combining. It does, yeah. (laughs) And I think, look, this is our experience and we refer to the experts. Like, you do the research, do what's good for you. This is what we do, okay? Like, even yesterday, we went to a surprise wedding and we had this awesome plant-based pizza pie almost type thing. It was so good. And then I just finished eating it and boom, out came a bit of cake. And it was carrot cake and super clean, healthy. All vegan, organic, amazing. But I just finished the savory and then goes on a bit of sweet. And I'm telling you, I was dropping Chernobyl farts like no tomorrow. Like, I don't know what was going on in my gut. I ended up waking up this morning and doing a freaking salt flush because I was just, I worked myself up last night, tooting away 
symphony of trumpets, I called it. <laughs> but that's what happens. But that's when food combining. That's food combining. It was, so, fe- it was festering on top. Oh, God. And that's just like hurts my guts. Think about Candida and SIBO and all of that. You know, listen to Donna Gates. She's been on my podcast a few times and we'll link to those episodes, but she is the queen of food combining. We've been following her principles for a very long time. Well, and- I don't know. Let's just be clear about that. When we say food combining, we're not doing body ecology food combining. If anything, we're doing Stephen Cabral food combining, and we're not eliminating certain things at meals. We we have a full fully rounded meal, but we eat them in a certain order, right? So I've spoken about this on my show. I've done a whole episode on this. If you want to check it out, we'll link to it in the show notes. But I'm going to give you like a simple meal. Let's say you're going to have sweet potato, a piece of fish, and some steamed broccoli. I would go sweet potato, then I'd have the fish then I have the broccoli because they're going to digest roughly in that sort of order in terms of speed, right? Because you think about the mushy stuff and the broccoli is harder if you don't cook it too much. So we're not doing food combining like don't mix this with that, et cetera, et cetera, other than fruit. We never mix fruit with anything. We're just doing it in a logical way. And that's why yesterday when I had that cake, I was putting something sweet on top of something savory straight away and the sweet stuff fermented and the microbes, <laughs> more pathogenic <laughs> microbes, went crazy, had a field day and created mini Chernobyl. <laughs> Talk about Ayurveda and dairy. Well, the classic no-no in Ayurveda, they say is like the worst food combination, is dairy or milk with banana. Just think about that for a second. Who here has ever had a milkshake? <laughs> with banana. Who's ever had some ice cream with banana? Who's had yogurt with banana? Right? So there's just some really basic principles that you can follow that make a huge difference. And when people often ask me about their digestion, I ask them what they're eating and what order and through the day. And I'm like, okay, no wonder that hurts because your afternoon snack is a banana and you just had lunch. Or your afternoon snack is, I don't know, some other sort of fruit. So my general rule And again, do what's right for you. My general rule is fruit first. And the minute I have something that's not fruit, say lunch, I don't have fruit again that day because the speed at which they digest is totally different to the other things. So I hope that helps clear up some stuff. Now, Bambi's just woken up, so we'll be back soon. And we're back. We are back. Almost 24 hours later. (laughs) It's a different day, but we are here. So the next question is, how many times does Bambi feed in the night? At the moment, either once or no time. So last night she slept seven till 3.30 and then we had 10 minutes of milk at 3.30 and then she went back to sleep till seven. Although we have just got to that place because we were slowly decreasing her sleep during the day because she was doing twice for the last Two week. days? No, no, it's been like three days. (laughs) I would know, trust me. Yeah. So what I learned from Dr. Golly, who's also been on my podcast, I am very grateful that I have him on text. And I said, I think Bambi's having too much day sleep. And so I Googled how much day sleep should her age be getting at the moment. And she, yes, was having too much day sleep. So we've decreased her day sleep and she is just... Yeah, now waking up maybe once or no times for some milk. Very good. What do you feed Bambi on an average day? Hmm. Okay, so we have shared a little bit about this, but always fruit for breakfast, fruit first, food combining. We follow those principles. 
and we add some chia or flax in there. Which we blend up. So it's because if you don't blend those, that will go straight through. Mm-hmm. It'll do nothing really. Yes, because she only has two teeth. So yeah, we blend that. And sometimes we will put maybe some avocado in there as well. But she has like a really beautiful breakfast. This morning she had blended figs with some chia seeds and a mango seed with lots of mango on it. And she loves that. And it's really great because it's great for her hand-eye coordination as well. Yeah. And remembering that avocado is a fruit. Mm-hmm, exactly. And it combines very well with fruits. I have gone through periods in my life where I only eat just plain fruit and avocado for breakfast. And it works really well for me. The fat tends to just balance things out from a blood sugar level. So Yeah. So we always make sure that she has lots of fruit for breakfast with some chia or flax and she absolutely loves it. And then lunch, lunch and dinner kind of swaps. We try and do dinner more of a carby dinner. So things like pumpkin and sweet potato, we'll add some beans and What we try and do is make sure there is a carbohydrate, so pumpkin or sweet potato, something like that, and then protein. That could be beans or legumes or nuts or seeds. And then there's a little bit of fat, whether that's avocado or nuts or seeds or olives or olive oil, and then a little bit of fiber, maybe some steamed kale or silver beet. So we try and balance her meals how we would balance our own meals and make sure that she is getting all of the macros in her meal. And she loves her food. She loves it. And then we've also started to introduce things like cinnamon and turmeric and cumin and really nice, beautiful herbs and spices. Just small amounts. Yeah, tiny, tiny, like a pinch. Yeah, and also we have started to introduce some seed-like grains or pseudo-grains like amaranth and quinoa. We haven't done millet yet, have we? No. No, not yet. But we've been mixed about doing that at this stage. We were going to sort of push it back a bit, but we sort of thought, you know what, let's just try it and see how she responds to it. If she likes it, any weird reactions, just sort of watch it. And if you read Plant-Based Juniors and their guide around this sort of stuff, they do say in there that the whole idea of babies not being able to digest grains earlier on is not correct. Now, these are technically seeds, so it's a bit different. So we haven't done rice or, you know, any other sorts of traditional grains. I think that's probably much later. And a lot of the research that I have read has said that they can't digest grains until after two, which is when the enzymes in their pancreas have fully developed. Now, I'm not a doctor. Please don't (laughs) quote me on that, but that is what I have read. But then there are people like the plant-based juniors who debunk that and say that is not the case. So you just have to get all of the knowledge, see both sides, and then do what feels right and true for you, because that's always going to be the best option. And bearing in mind, one of the first meals, actually the first meal that is given to a baby in the Ayurvedic world is in fact a very specific form of white rice that's polished a certain way and then cooked into like a congee with a bit of ghee and black pepper, which is super interesting. But remembering that white rice has had its husk polished off, so it's really just pure starch. So it's a grain, but it's kind of not because the grainy part's gone. So I found that interesting. I have friends who have done that as the traditional first food. It's supposed to prime their digestive system for receiving new foods. So that was interesting for sure. Very interesting. And the last question in the food category 
How do you tackle the importance of iron-rich foods for Bambi on a plant-based diet? And I think we've kind of covered this before, but whole foods are full of iron and things like spirulina really jam-packed with iron. So we include that in her diet. And I think with kids and with ourselves, you want to make sure you're getting a massive variety of colors and beans and everything. Like just try and get, eat the rainbow, eat the rainbow and really try and get as much variety as possible because that way you're going to get a plethora of vitamins and nutrients. And also remembering that there are, of course, vegetables that are high in iron like spinach and anything green, right? All the leafy greens. Anything deep dark green, of course. We do steam those greens. You can actually just massage a bit of olive oil into those and let them kind of just wilt. Or lightly steam them. Lightly steam. So there's different ways you can prepare them. But not forgetting that lentils are really high in iron and different legumes. So that's, you know, it's kind of everywhere in the plant kingdom, but you just have to be conscious that you're actually putting in the meals. Exactly. And we blend up. So yesterday I steamed a tiny bit of kale and silver beet for her, just quick little steam. And then I blended that up into one of her purees because she can't chew that. And then she's getting all of that nutrients from those beautiful leafy greens. So yeah, just as long as they're eating the rainbow, all different colors, all different foods, like try not to just give them blueberries for breakfast every morning, like try not to give them the same thing. So we shop at the organic farmer's market every Sunday and we look at the different fruits and we try and pick a wide variety of different fruits for Bambi for the coming week. And she absolutely loves it. So right now, cherries are in season where we are. So she's been having some cherries. And again, we just blend those up with some chia and flax and it almost makes like a mousse. So what you do with any of the fruit that's quite watery, you blend it with a little bit of chia and flax and then leave it to sit for a minute and it will become like a chia pudding. It's amazing. And then the she just loves it. Most babies will love that texture. Otherwise, it's very liquidy. If you try and blend things like grapes and cherries, they're just very watery. So you want to put in a little bit of chia and flax and it makes like a yummy, yummy pudding. It's delicious. Awesome. Well, that wraps up the food section. So we're going to move on to products that we love. This is a question I have been asked so many times on social media. People want to know what products I'm using on Bambi, what products we're using for her, what are our favorite brands. And so I wanted to share this with you guys because it's really, really helpful. And again, we'll link to everything in the show notes. Yeah, so let's um we'll go through these pretty quickly because it's pretty self-explanatory. And all the links are there for you guys. So what body products do you use on Bambi? So we do not use any soap or anything like that on her. We just use water. And it's really important that you are bathing your baby in clean water. Mm. Get the hydrogen health water filter, shower filter on your bath or on your shower and bathe your baby in clean filtered water. Please, 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 because the skin is the largest organ. So they will just be drinking the chemicals that are in the water through their skin. And you can use the code MELISSA to get 20% off. And I'll link to that in the show notes. All you have to do is use the code MELISSA at Hydrogen Health to get 20% off. And I think it's cool because when we first started this podcast and maybe a bit before that, we'd speak about the chemicals in our water. And like dead set, people wouldn't believe us. And it's only been, hasn't been a long time, but that has all changed now. There's so much awareness around the toxicity of general municipal water 
that we can now very confidently say that you absolutely need to have a filter and it doesn't get you know, people don't push back, but would you believe people used to push back on that? I know. It is ludicrous. And you do not want to be bathing, drinking, or even breathing in junk water. Okay. So when you are showering in chemical laden water, that off gases and you just are breathing it all in. So it's really, really important that you put a filter on your entire house if you can. You know, even if you go to the toilet and you wash your hands, your hands, you want your hands to be getting washed in clean water. It's just so important. So check out Hydrogen Health and get yourself some filters. We also travel with their shower filter. So whenever we go to a hotel or an Airbnb, we take our shower filter and a spanner and Nick will put that on the shower that we are showering in because I won't shower. Like if if we have forgotten it, there has been times where I haven't showered. I've just gone in the ocean or, you know, and one thing you could do is like a bird bath with just a cloth and under your armpits and your pits and bits. But I personally, that's how strongly I feel about it. I won't shower. Mm. We also take another one to go under the sink in the kitchen so we can have clean water to wash vegetables. We wouldn't drink that particularly. Like we actually sometimes travel with a water distiller. We put that in hydrogen health bottles. Like, you know, we do a whole bunch of stuff. But um, We are water qualitarians. So that's the first thing, you know, when it comes to your baby and yourself, clean water. I also then put some Epsom salts in her bath. She ha- so she has a bath with Papa every night and we put some Epsom salts in there. We not do too not- many, just a little bit like a half cup half a cup, and we do not use any soap on her. So Nick will give her a thorough clean with some water. But again, she's not super dirty because she does the potty. It's not like she has poo everywhere. You no. know, it's, and she has a swim usually during the day. Yeah, we go to the beach every day. So she's pretty clean. But before that, we do baby Abiyunga and we use a beautiful baby oil from Vital Veda, and I will link to that in the show notes. That is a medicinal Ayurvedic baby oil, and it is beautiful, and she loves it, and she smells so good. Okay, top brands and must-have baby items, Melissa Ambrosini. This is so important. When Bambi was born, we actually didn't have half of these things because we wanted to wait to see what we actually needed. And I know so many people go and set up the nursery and they have all these things. And then I've heard many, many people say, I didn't even use this. I didn't even use this. I didn't even use this. And it's such a waste of money. And we are not wasteful people. We try and live a very minimalist life. And so we wanted to wait to see what we actually needed. Now, was that a little bit annoying in some cases? Yes some cases. Like we didn't have a a bed for her for a while, but she just slept in our bed, but it was fine. So I'm going to share the must-have items and the brands that we love. So the first one is a baby carrier. We used the brand Artie Pop, which we absolutely love. And I think we have a link that can get you $80 off. Yes. Not an affiliate link. It's just like a gift thing. Yeah, I'll yeah. Link, I'll put it in the show notes for you guys. You can get eighty dollars off. This is amazing. We use it so much for where we live, which is tropical. It can be a bit too warm in summer, but still totally fine. 
We just get a bit sweaty sometimes. <laughs> but for the rest of the year, it's been freaking awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's definitely something that we love and use. And that's our favorite brand. And we only have one. I know lots of people that have like five baby carriers, but we just have one. And this is our favorite. It's worth the investment. Mm. And you can chuck it in the wash and hang it up to dry. And it's all cotton and there's vegan. It's all vegan. It's all cotton. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, they're just super designed and their website's ridiculously hot. <laughs> the next one is the cot, which is from Sacred Bundle. Yeah. Which we're super grateful for that cot. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. We love it. And we got a beautiful mattress from Natural Bedding Co. And that is latex and hemp and all natural, organic, no chemicals, and it's really beautiful. And we actually have one of the beds in our house in Leo's room. The queen bed is also from Natural Bedding Co. So if you're looking for a toxic-free mattress, Mm, they are your go-to. And the cot from Sacred Bundle, which we absolutely love, it's called the Ziggy Cot. And you want to get organic sheets as well. So Pure Baby have organic fitted cotton sheets. And this Ziggy Cot, also has a conversion kit that turns it into a bed. So it goes up to six years of age. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. So helpful. The next one is the car seat. And we actually have the currently the bugaboo capsule, which sort of clicks into your pram. And yeah, it's pretty beautiful and awesome. Yeah, we love the bugaboo car seat and the bugaboo pram. So the car seat is the turtle, that's what it's Mm. called, and the pram is the fox. Mm -hmm. And we love, love, love those two products. Nick was a little bit hesitant to get a pram because he, you know, thought, you know, back when we were in tribes, they didn't have prams and we should just carry them all the time. And I said, yeah, that's a really good idea in theory. And I'm so glad we have it because my back, Mm. oh boy. I carry her, but I don't like personally using a pram too much because I prefer to have that time with her just holding her. Yeah. And you love that connection. That's that skin to skin contact. You love that. And, you know, I get that a lot with her while we're feeding and things like that. And yeah, I need to put her in the pram for my back. Otherwise, it'd be very, very sore, even more sore. Next, obviously, is just clothing. And we've really, have we bought any clothes? Yeah, we have bought a few things, but we're very, very... What did we buy? I thought it was all gifts. We have had lots of gifts, which is amazing, and hand-me-downs, but Pure Baby are a really beautiful, organic clothing brand. But we have been super, super grateful that lots of our friends have just given us organic hand-me-downs or gifts for Christmas and things like that, which is really beautiful. So just Google organic baby clothes. Pure Baby is one of our favorite brands and find sustainable and toxic-free clothing brands. Yeah, I think the majority of her clothes have come from just circulating in community, which is awesome. And doesn't Kmart have a organic range? What's that called? Anko, A-N-K-O. They have an organic cotton range cheap. and really cheap. So I got like three onesies for I think $11 the other day, which is awesome. So check out Kmart and check out Pure Baby and just Google organic baby clothes and circulate amongst your friends because they grow out of them so quickly. They get holes in them. They get dirty. You don't need new things. Like literally, I don't know. I think we've maybe bought one or two things. I can't even remember. Maybe nothing. We've just been gifted, which is so amazing. And then I gift all of my clothes on to 
little babes who are younger than Bambi. So my sister-in-law has had a baby girl and she gets bags and bags and bags of clothes from Bambi as soon as she's grown out of them, which is awesome. So just circulate, circulate, circulate. And even if you are going to have other kids, like there's some things that I keep that are really, really special or cute, but then I circulate the rest and you know, it will just come back. Mm. The high chair we use is by Stokey and we love that high chair. It's just super minimal and it's made of um, oak timber. And we also got with it the tray that comes with it. So Bambi can just sit there and she can have her food and, you know, it's, she loves it. She does. super comfy in it. We didn't get any of the cushions and all that sort of stuff because it's just going to get filthy, right? So, And we originally didn't buy the tray at the start because we thought we would just pull her up to our dining table and she didn't need a tray. But our dining table is too high for the chair. So well, not we, only that, she was headbutting it. Yeah, she was headbutting it. So <laughs> we needed to get her the tray. So we got that after. And there's also little straps that you can strap them in, but we don't strap her in because going back to what we were saying before, Nick feels really passionate about not dumbing down dumbing down so because melissa was like yeah but she might jump out i said darling we need to teach her that there's consequences and she can't just jump out of chairs but she can't jump out of it anyway yeah well we're with her so it's fine but if you strap her in she's going to push 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 i don't know it feels like a little mini prison to me i'm not vibing that so we just don't use the straps yeah and it's all good the bouncer we use is by baby bjorn which We only used the first maybe five months. Yeah, we still have it, which is great. And that was from Nick's mum. She actually had that from when Leo and Mm. our nephews were little. So we just borrowed that. We've still got it. And then, yeah, we'll just circulate that around our family. So we didn't actually have to buy that, which is awesome. But it is really, really good. And very handy in the beginning. Very handy. Like we, again, didn't have this when she was first born. And then about a few months in, I said to your mum, could you just bring that over? I'd like to just see if we end up using it. And she brought it over and it was amazing because I could put her in that whilst I was showering or on the toilet. It's, it's just really helpful. It was only in times of need. It wasn't... All the time. No, it's only like, oh, I really don't have enough hands right now to finish what I'm doing. I'm going to pop you in here just for five minutes. It was that sort of thing. It was really from memory, only when I was showering and you weren't home, I'd put her in that in the bathroom yeah, or on the toilet and you were doing something yeah and when we're eating we would put her in it sometimes or she would just lay on the floor uh we have a play mat by softly summer which is made from recycled plastics and it's been great actually it's been really good because we have a silver travertine flooring through our whole place which is hard <laughs> so it's just been nice for her to have a little soft space we don't use it so much now because she's just on the move. And she's like commando crawling everywhere. We still do pull it out and put all of her toys on it. And she'll sometimes it's sit on it. It's a starting point. It's a starting point. And yeah. then she ends up everywhere. But we don't have one of those cage things, you know, the wooden cage things. Playpen. Playpen. We don't do that. And one of the main reasons, again, is like, you know, Nick just didn't want to cage them in or Nick well, just I wanted, didn't want I wanted to be present with her and not have to rely on those things. Now, that might be different for other people. Like if you're a single mom and you've got work to do and you just need to be able to put the baby down somewhere, then you do it and you don't worry about Nick brought her saying, dumbing down, <laughs> just ignore it. But for us, it just felt like one more thing that, I don't know, just didn't feel right for whatever reason. Yeah. But personal preferences. Sleep suits, we use Ergo. 
which we absolutely love. And we have a variety of different ones for different temperatures and they are awesome. Mm, and yeah, they're so good. I didn't have any again when she was born. I didn't have any. And then one of my girlfriends, Katie, gave me some of hers from her two daughters. And then we tried them and I was like, oh, these are amazing. And then she grew out of those ones. And then we got thicker ones for winter and we got a whole different bunch of them and we absolutely love them, use them every day. Of course, they're practical in terms of, you know, it's just like a little cocoon for them, but it's also a ritual. So as soon as I put Bambi into her sleep suit, boom, she knows. the thumb goes in her mouth and she's like, I'm out of here. She knows. And she gets excited. She's like, oh she yeah, she knows. Sometimes. She knows that it's sleep time, which is really beautiful. And ergo... I'm not sure if all of their products, but I know their sleep suits are certified organic, which is amazing. The only teddy we have is actually uh, was gifted by Leo's mum and Leo, and it's a little koala, but we use it as a comforter. It's, it's flat. It's called a comfy. It is okay. It's, it's a, comfy. a comfy. Yeah. It's it's so it was it's built gifted, for that purpose, right? Yes, it was gifted from Leo's mum and Leo, and she absolutely loves it. So we never had a comforter in her cot. We never ever did. And then this was gifted to her and it's so cute and she loves it so much. It's just like a little koala and she just snuggles up to it. It's so cute. And if, she, you, if you say its name, <laughs> she giggles. I, I said it yesterday because she was a little bit upset just going to bed when you weren't here. And I was like, should we go and get Monsieur Dodo? Because <laughs> she's speaking French right while she's learning French. And, and Dodo is sleep and sleep for, for babies. Children, yeah. And so we called it Ashley Tiff, our nanny, called it Monsieur Dodo. And uh, I said Monsieur Dodo and she cracked she up. Laughs. She, she cracked laughs. She laughs. I know I did it before she and can't she stop loves laughing. it. She thinks it's hilarious. She goes, <laughs> it's so it's really cute. Funny. It's really cute. So that is not absolutely necessary, but it was a gift and she absolutely loves it. So when we posted the first photo of our rocking chair, the nursing chair, we had so many questions about it and so many comments because it's it looks beautiful. It's not particularly cheap. It's about 800 Australian dollars, but it's beautiful. It's called the Quax Q-U-A-X Rocking Nursing Chair. We got it from danishbydesign.com.au. And what color did we get it in? It's like a gray. Yeah. Would you say gray? Is it's that- a very light gray and it's just, it looks cool and it's super comfy. And again, we did not have this. This is one of the items that I wish we had have had from day one. This was not something that we had. And I had always said, because we're minimalists, I had always said, I will just breastfeed in bed or sitting on the couch. And I did that and caused myself a lot of pain in my neck, my shoulders, my arms, my upper back, my wrists. So I highly recommend getting a feeding chair and pillow. I just, you know, this... It, this would have changed my life if we had have had this from the start. But again, we didn't want to get anything because I'd had people say to me, I had got this expensive feeding chair and I never even sat in it. So I just wanted to make sure that I was going to actually use it. And we did and we do and I love it. But actually now I only will sit in that. So this morning at 3.30 when she woke and had some milk, then I fed her sitting up in that. But during the day, I feed her laying down just to save my wrists and upper back and everything. But I highly recommend the feeding chair. Yeah. And the pillow is a moon shape and organic. And that's from Snuggle Me Organic. Mm, they very kindly sent us that. It was awesome. Thank and you. And we love that. So I just prop that under my elbow whilst I'm feeding. On that note, we did also 
have from Snuggle Me Organic a little mattress called a Snuggle Me, isn't it? It's called Snuggle Me Organic, I'm pretty sure. Oh, what was the thing called, the actual mattress? We'll link to it in the show notes, but we used that for the first maybe two months. It was just really, it's nice and compact, not too big and really comfy for her when she's little just to keep her in position so you can go to sleep with her in your bed which is cute. So again, thank you to Snuggle Me for sending us that. And she slept in that, in the middle of us for months and it was so cute, but she outgrew that very quickly. As you will see when you have a baby, you'll see these things and you think, how are they going to outgrow it? And then they do it very, very quickly. Okay. So the next thing is nappies and toxic free wipes. So we use Love Me and you can use the code Melissa15 to get a discount. You can get 15% off, which is awesome. So we use their nappies. They are biodegradable. They are plant-based. They are toxic free, no dyes. They're awesome. I love their nappies and their wipes are biodegradable, they're bamboo and they're beautiful. But again, we don't use a lot of nappies and we don't use a lot of wipes because Bambi does the potty and she's been doing the potty since she was three months old. And the potty that we use is by Tiny Potties. Andrea Olson has been on my show twice and it's her brand. She is the elimination communication lady. So we use her Tiny Potty and nappies and toxic-free wipes when we need to. And then we also have some cloth nappies from Little Eco Baby that we also use occasionally. But yeah, we don't have to use a lot of nappies and wipes because she is potty trained. Mm, That's probably one of the most important things I think as well. Speaking to dumbing down, right? I know I keep talking about it, but I've always felt like nappies are a weird concept and you need them for sure. And Andrea shared in the episode that she interviewed me for on her podcast, and it's on my show as well. She shared that the nappy companies, they call them diapers in America. They actually, I think the average age to be potty trained is around three years. And she said that the companies want them to stay in diapers until they're three. Why? Because then they make money. They make money on Mm. nappies and wipes. But they're just honestly, yeah, look, you need them in a modern world. But it is amazing how fast a newborn will go and use the potty, well, not go and use it, but will use the potty intuitively. Like she did it first time, straight away. And we would have probably started earlier if I didn't have all of the breastfeeding and back and neck pain that I was experiencing. You know, I felt like I just wanted to get to three months and then we'd visit the elimination communication thing. But I have a friend who did it at two weeks, two weeks old. Mm. Her baby was on the potty. Yeah. And maybe for the next one, it'll be straight away. I think so. Mm. Yeah, definitely. We just love it. Cannot rave about it enough. And it's good for the environment. Andrea said to me in the episode that by 18 months, you could be out of day nappies and just simply doing the potty because they're walking by that age. They can walk up to the potty and just go themselves, which is awesome. So yeah, we love it. We are massive advocates for elimination communication and highly recommend it. So go and listen to both of my episodes with Andrea if you want to find out more about it. And then these little change mats that we use are from Eco Naps. And they are amazing. We have three of them. Again, we only bought, I think, one or two at the start. And then you realize, okay, you do need a few more. So we have three of these change mats. 
and they are organic cotton and you can throw them in the wash. And I just put that down. We don't actually have a changing table at the moment. We're just using our joinery in our lounge room, but we are looking at getting the Cozy Cribs change table, which is really beautiful. And we were changing on the bed, but that was really hurting my back. So check out the Eco Naps change mats. All right. And moving on, this is a question about clothes again, but just someone's asking, what are some of your favorite brands for non-toxic, but still like super cute, epic vibes? Definitely Pure Baby and Kmart organic cotton clothes from there are really beautiful. There's another label called By Billy. Another one called Elora the Label, which is really sweet. Summer and Storm and Golden Eve. But what I would do, depending what country you live in, just Google organic baby clothes and so much will come up and try and buy local. So a lot of these brands are local, which is really beautiful. I love supporting local brands, if I can, that are you know sustainable and eco. So check those out. And this is the last question, and it's about toys. And one of the websites I love, which is called Dragonfly Toys, because it's got some really cool musical instruments, which I was just browsing as you were talking. And I do want to get a few of the toys, actually. There's <laughs> um, like really cool xylophones and different drums. And she's really into music. So oh, well, she loves all babies music. are. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, she absolutely loves it. So check out Dragonfly Toys. Montessori, I think there's one called Monty Kids, which is amazing. But Google Montessori Toys or Steiner Toys or Steiner Toy Shops or Montessori Toy Shops, and you'll get a lot of natural, toxic-free wooden toys that don't have any chemicals. And depending what country you're in, just look up what's in your area because there's some in America that I absolutely love, but they don't ship to Australia. So that's a bummer. But they're a couple of our favorites. And again, just you can Google. There's lots on Etsy as well. You can Google Montessori toys on Etsy or Steiner toys on Etsy or natural toys. But again, try and shop local, go to your markets. The markets might have some beautiful handmade wooden toys, uh, which would just be divine. So look local and just go as toxic free as you possibly can when it comes to toys because babies put everything in their mouth absolutely everything. So you do not want toxic plastics and dyes because they are just going to eat it. So you want to make sure that you're going as chemical free as possible when it comes to toys and books and clothing and everything, because it's all going to end up in their mouth. Awesome. And just a quick note on that Dragonfly Toys website, there's one called an Aorus three note glockenspiel, which is super cool because you've got three little glockenspiels rather than one really big one, if that makes sense. So easy to pack away, put it in the toy box. So that looks really cool. Anyway, that is a pretty extensive episode for all things parenting, food and products that we love. We really hope you got so much out of this. We love doing these episodes for you. And again, go to the show notes. All of the links will be there. And I have a couple of discount codes for a few of those brands as well. So make sure you check that out. Really hope you loved this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you. 
I hope you got a lot out of this episode. We love doing these episodes for you. And we will keep popping up a question box on my Instagram story whenever we are doing one so that you can pop your questions in there. And if you loved today's conversation, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for them. And come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I absolutely love hearing from you. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. 